been stated already, we're studying the book of John on Sunday nights, and so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of John chapter 6, as we begin reading with verse 60. Book of John chapter 6, as we begin reading with verse 60. This is a long chapter. A lot has taken place in this chapter. We've seen our Lord Jesus uh, do the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we've seen our Lord Jesus and the miracle of walking on water. Uh, we've seen Jesus talking to the people. We've seen the people wanting to follow Jesus. And then last week we saw how the people got mad at Jesus. Uh, they started grumbling. And now we're continuing that conversation as Jesus is talking to his followers. Notice what it says in verse 60 of John chapter 6. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious of his disciples grumbling, grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it had been given, granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Pray with me. Our Father, tonight as we look at this passage Fathers, we ask the question, what is a true disciple? Help us, Father, that we will examine our lives. Let us not look at others, but let us look at ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Charles went from relative obscurity to notoriety in a very short time. In fact, in the 1920s, he was very unfamiliar to those people in Boston. He was just a rising millionaire that just had the Midas touch. Charles made millions by encouraging others to invest in him, to invest their money with him. He promised them, I can give you 50% investment in 45 days, and in 100 days, uh, 90 days, I can give you 100% uh, return. And in a few short months, 40,000 people in the Boston area gave him nearly $15 million. Some people mortgaged their homes. Some people gave their entire life savings because they wanted to invest their money with Charles because he knew exactly what he was doing. He made a promise of a great return. However, in August of that year, Charles, last name Ponzi, was arrested in Charles with multiple counts of fraud and larceny. And from that day on, Ponzi has become synonymous with a fraudulent investment. If you read the story of Charles Ponzi, you'll notice that people said he was trustworthy, or at least he appeared to be. Uh, he was a nice man. He was easy to talk to. 
They said he knew exactly what he was doing. He seemed like the kind of person that wanted to help you. He was the kind of person you wanted to give your money to. But the problem was he was a crook. He was a con man. His Ponzi scheme ruined thousands of lives in the 1920s. You read that kind of story, and you realize the moral of the story is that sometimes people are not what they seem to be. Well, the same way in the disciples. You know, there's a difference between something that's true and something that's false. And sometimes we can see something that's false, and we think it's true, and then we find out that it's false. In the same way, we see this with the disciples. Sometimes people will say they have a relationship with God when we find out they don't have a relationship with God. We find some people say they are disciples of God when we find out they're only pretending to be a disciple of God. Some people think they do have a a relationship with God only to find out they never had a relationship with God. I mean, that's one of the reasons today we're seeing more and more uh, famous Christians, famous Christian musicians or or authors or, or speakers or preachers, all of a sudden saying they're giving up the faith. They're walking away from everything they've been teaching and talking about. How is that possible? We find the answer in John chapter 6. As I said earlier, Jesus is making these audacious claims. I mean, he, he said he came down from heaven. He said he is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He claimed to have the words of eternal life. He performed miracles. He fed the 5,000. He he stilled the storm. He walked on the water. But by the end of the chapter, people are angry with him. And by the very end of the chapter, people are walking away from him. And tonight, if you look at those who walked away and those who stayed, you have a picture of the difference between a false disciple and a true disciple. So this evening. I want to look at the difference. I want to begin with a false disciple. How how do false disciples respond to Jesus? Well, number one, false disciples are easily offended. They're easily offended. Look look back at verse 60. Jesus has just told them to to be my follower. You have to eat eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's talking about, no, you have to give me everything. You have to, I have to be the center of your world. We talked about that last week, but look what it says in verse 60. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard it, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at them, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Here are these followers of Jesus, and he's teaching them. They said, wait a minute. I, I don't like what I'm hearing. You are offending me, Jesus. You're, you're saying to eat your flesh and drink your blood? You're you're saying that we need you to sustain us? You're you're saying that we need you totally to sustain us? Now, remember, they said they believed that he was the Messiah. Uh, They saw that he could do miracles. They tried to make him king of Israel earlier in this chapter. But the moment he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, in other words, what he's saying is, I have to be the center of your life. You have to have, I have to be in your life you're not good enough. I'm going to need to save you. That's what he's saying to them. They were offended. What he's saying to them, your goodness is not good enough. He is saying, you must accept me totally. Well, they didn't like it. That offended them. Remember, a disciple is anyone who follows Jesus. But if you're offended by what Jesus says, how can you be a disciple? How can a disciple be offended at what Jesus says? These false disciples, these false followers, they, they, they say this is a hard word. This is a hard statement. That, that word uh, hard in the Greek language doesn't mean hard to understand. It means hard to follow. 
It means offensive. Here's what they're saying to Jesus. Jesus, you're offending me. You know, I like some of the things you say, but some of this I don't like. Jesus, I want to pick and choose what I want to follow. But some of the things you are saying to me, I just find very offensive. So what does Jesus say? Well, verse 61. He was conscious. They grumbled. He says, did this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Jesus knew they were grumbling. He said, why are you grumbling at this statement? And in other words, he's really giving them a kind of an out. He said, why this statement? In other words, there's going to be another statement down the road. In fact, he gives them the statement. He said, if you find this offensive, hey, wait till I get to the cross. Wait till they nail me on the cross. That will really offend you because the cross, remember, was scandalous. The Jews wouldn't even talk about it. The Romans wouldn't even say the word crucifixion. It was an offensive word. Jesus said, look, if you are offended by this, you're going to find something else to be offended by. One day, I said, when I'm on that cross, I will really offend you. That's why the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Or chapter 1 verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and a folly to the Gentiles. Jesus is saying to these followers, you, you are offended? You're going to be offended by other things. If you are offended by the things Jesus says, something is wrong. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. I mean, how many times it seems like we are always apologizing for what Jesus said. It seems like we're always apologizing to the world for what the Bible says. And we shouldn't. We are not to be offended by what Jesus says. We are to follow what he says. I have to admit to you, there's something scary about this passage. I mean, a false teacher may go to, a false disciple may go to church. They may read their Bibles. They may pray. They may look like the real thing, but they have trouble with the Lordship of Christ. And they are going to be offended by what Jesus says at some point. They will start picking and choosing what they want to believe. They will say, now, I believe Jesus said this, but I don't believe Jesus said that because that offends me. A false disciple is easily offended. And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, you, you can't pick and choose. You, you can't dabble with me. You can't nibble on some things. You can't sample me or try me on for size. You either follow me fully or you can't follow me at all. Second, false disciples are spiritually blind. False disciples are spiritually blind. Look at verse 63. He's, Jesus just said, if you're offended, you're going to be really offended by the cross. He said in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Here's what Jesus is saying. If my words offend you, it's because my words are spiritual and you are not hearing me spiritually. If my words offend you, it's because you are not spiritual. You are spiritually blind. You can't understand the spiritual things while you're still in the flesh. That's why my words offend you. Those in the spirit are not going to be offended by the words in the spirit. Those in the spirit are not going to be offended by the words of God. They're not going to be offended by the words of Christ. And so he says in verse 20, 64, but for, there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus already knew this. 
He, he said, I, I know some of you don't believe. Some of you are just following right now, but you're not really believing because you are spiritually blind. The world is spiritually blind. That's why they don't understand the things of God. God has to open our hearts. God has to open our eyes to see the spiritual things. And there are some people, they are false disciples because they are spiritually blind. Being a Christian is a supernatural, spiritual event. And sometimes I think we, we forget that. I think sometimes we think we can uh, manipulate or manufacture this, this idea of spirituality. We can't. Being a Christian is a spiritual event. And false disciples are spiritually blind. Another sign of false disciples. False disciples eventually leave. False disciples eventually leave. Look at verse 66. As a result of this, Jesus talking to them, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. The beginning of the chapter, there's thousands of people. At the beginning of the chapter, there are thousands of people coming to hear Jesus. In fact, later in the chapter, they want to make him king. They are excited about Jesus. They, they heard he went to the other side of the, the lake, so they went to the other side. They wanted to go wherever Jesus went. And yet in this verse, many walked away. How's that possible? How's it possible to walk away from Jesus? Well, first of all, they were following Jesus for the wrong reasons. They weren't following him because he was God. They were following him for different reasons. We know that. Again, look at ch chapter 6. Some people followed him because of the miracles. That's what he said in verse 2. Jesus comes to town. He's going to do miracles. Let's go see the miracles of our Lord. He brought excitement. He brought novelty. But it doesn't last. They wanted to see miracles. Remember later on they asked him, Lord, do us a sign. Do another sign. They keep asking Jesus to do miracles because that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see something different. And that's why they followed him. Some followed him because he provided bread. Jesus fed them. And so as Jesus is feeding them, they're coming to Jesus. Lord, continue to feed us. Continue to give us what we want. Lord, continue to give us stuff. Give my life purpose. Give me something, Lord. Listen, if Christ is not your Savior, you might have just made him your business partner. Let's just see what I can get out of him. Your relationship with Christ is not a commercial. You, you can't just do some religious things. And some of the people were following Jesus because they wanted the bread. Some of them followed Jesus because they wanted political power. We learned that in verse 15. Remember for verse 15, they wanted to make him king. You see, if Jesus was the king, he would get rid of the Romans. You have to think like the Jews of this time. The Romans had them under their authority. And the Jews kept waiting for the Messiah to come to get rid of the Romans. They were thinking the Messiah was going to be a king like King David. And so they're looking for that kind of king. Here comes Jesus. Every miracle that Jesus does, they're thinking in terms of a king. Here's a king that can feed us. 
5,000, he can feed an army. The army can go anywhere. They don't have to take supplies. He can walk on water. Well, if he can walk on water, his army can walk on water. We don't need ships. We don't need boats. We can go anywhere. Later on, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this is a great king. I mean, if we lose our lives in battle, he could raise us from the dead. They're thinking in terms of political power, and they're looking at Jesus. You can give us freedom. You can give us power if we follow you. You see, there are many reasons people follow Jesus. But the question is, are you following Jesus for the right reason? False disciples look at Jesus, and they see a genie in a bottle. I rub the bottle, I make a wish, and I keep on going. And when I don't want him, I put him back in the bottle. He's there simply to grant my request, my, my prayers. True disciples, they don't come to Jesus because he dispenses the prize. They come to him because he is the prize. Now, please understand something. I strongly believe with all my heart once saved, always saved, if saved. But in this verse, we, we see these are people, they're not saved. They were following Jesus for the wrong reasons, and they never gave their life to him. Years ago in another church, there was a young man who got really involved in our church. He, he, was, he was incredibly on fire. Every time the door was open, he was there. He was helping, volunteering. He was doing so much. And about a year later, he stopped. He stopped coming to church. And I went to talk to him. And I asked him, well, what's going on? And he told me the story. He told me about a sin he had committed before he came to our church. He said, as long as I was in church, I felt good. But when I got home, I felt guilty. As long as I was volunteering, I felt good. But the moment I got home, I felt guilty. And I realized my guilt's not going away, and I realized it's Jesus couldn't help me. And I told him, I said, here's your problem. You never gave your life to Christ. You gave your life to the church to work out your guilt. You've never really made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He walked away, but he was, not a, he was a false disciple. Now, the good news of that story, he gave his life to Christ and came back and became active again. False disciples will walk away eventually. So, so what's a true disciple? Well, we find the characteristics of a true disciple here. A true disciple will make a commitment to follow Jesus. A true disciple will make a commitment to follow Jesus. Again, look at verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Here are these followers, they're, they're leaving. But the other disciples, the 12, didn't go. The others left because they never made a commitment to Jesus. They made a commitment to other things, but never to Jesus. The true disciple has turned their sin away placed their faith in Christ, and followed him forever. That's what's happening here. A true disciple is someone who will make that commitment to follow Jesus. Listen to what one writer writes. 
Some people claim that we can be a Christian without necessarily being a, a disciple. And by the way, some people say that. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not a disciple. That's impossible. Again, some people claim that we can be a Christian without necessarily becoming a disciple. I wonder then why the last thing Jesus told us to go in the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. You'll notice that he didn't add, but hey, if that's too much to ask, tell them just become a Christian. You know, the people who get to go to heaven without having to commit to anything. So tonight, as we're talking about disciple, I'm talking about being a Christian. So here in verse 66, we find this group of men and women. They, they're boasting they're disciples, but they're not. They got tough. They turn around and they walked away. Genuine disciples, true disciples come to Jesus, not for the bread, but come to him because he is the bread. Again, another writer asked this question. The critical question for our generation, for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all your friends who ever had on earth, all the food you ever like, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoy, and all the natural beauty you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ wasn't there? A true disciple would say no. The true disciple has made a commitment to follow Jesus. There is a commitment there. We're getting close to my favorite time of year called football season. You knew it was coming. And one of the most amazing players, whether you like him or not, is Tom Brady. Tom Brady just is incredible at his age, still plays. And they were on, on a panel discussion, they were asking the question, how is this possible? Here's what the panel said. It's incredible. Brady success, I think the most impressive thing to me, to continue to prepare, to continue to grind. Brady once said, if you want to beat me, you better be ready to lose your life because I've already given up mine. Brady, former backup quarterback, said this. The thing I learned from Tom Brady in playing quarterback is not a job, it's his lifestyle. You've got to be willing to commit your life to it and to be able to commit your life to playing the game the way he has played it and have as much passion for it ever without being saved by it. He wakes up and all the... He wakes up and it's all about what I am going to do today to be the very, very, very best quarterback I can for this organization. It means his diet. It means his exercise. It means hydration. And Sundays aren't the problem. Monday through Saturdays, that's the problem. You get to the point somewhere in your career when you say, I don't want to prepare anymore. If I could just show up on Sunday, that would be great. But I don't want to go through the grind, the grind of preparing to get to Sunday. But Brady still eats the grind for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's the most amazing thing I've ever witnessed. When I heard that, I thought, you know, that should describe us as Christians. That we're that committed seven days a week, 24-7. God did not call us to be a weekend athlete. He called us to be totally committed. A true disciple is committed. Secondly, true disciples make a confession of faith to Jesus. Look at verse 67. A true disciple makes a confession of faith to Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? By the way, in the Greek language, he's expecting a no answer. Uh, in the Greek, you, there's a certain way you phrase a question to determine if you're expecting a yes or a no. He's expecting a no. And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
I love this. This mass of people walking away. Jesus turned to the disciples. Guys, do you want to go too? And Peter looks around him and he said, Lord, where are we going to go? Who, who are we going to follow? You're the Holy One of God. You know what Peter is saying? Peter is saying, Lord, we know who you are. We're not going to go. We know who you are. That's a confession of statement. That's a confession of faith. He says, we know who you are. Verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a phrase from the book of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah? He sees that image of God. He says, holy, holy, holy. And that word holy one is used throughout the book of Isaiah. The only person you would ever say is the holy one of God is God himself. 62 times in the book of Isaiah, he calls God the holy one of God. And here is Peter saying to Jesus, Lord, where are we going to go? You are the holy one of God. You are God. We have committed ourselves to you. We have made a confession of our faith in you. Lord, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? Lord, there's no alternative to you. There's no person out there. There's no organization out there. Where are we going to go? You are God. We can't go money. I mean, we'll never have enough money. We can't go to success. We'll never achieve as much as we want. There's nothing will ever bring us satisfaction. Lord, you are God. You see, the disciple, the true disciple, will make a confession of faith to Christ. It's not just following because you want something. It's saying to God, I give you my life because I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And finally, the true disciple holds out to the end. Again, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, wherever we go, you're going to be there. Now, later on in the story, you know, Peter turns his back on Jesus for a short time. But he does not walk away forever. And as Christians, we are going to mess up at times. We're going to fall down at times. We're going to stumble at times. But the true disciple will always come back to God. When I was at seminary back in the day, there was an expression used throughout seminary life and old-fashioned preachers. They used to say this, the faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. I like that. The faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. Peter's saying, we started well, and we're going to hold out to the end. And Jesus says in verse 70, he said, did I not choose you myself? Now, he said, there's one of you. He's a devil. In other words, one of you hasn't committed himself to me. Jesus knew who he was. But he says, I know who my disciples are. If you are a true disciple, you will never, ever, ever give up on God ultimately. And by the way, if someone does, they were never a true disciple in the first place. A couple of years ago, there was a preacher who preached something on the true disciple, false disciple. He had a, a better way to phrase it. He, he said, it's the difference between a fan and a follower. He said, a fan in, in a sport, they just show up. You know, as long as the sport team benefits them, they stay there. But if the team starts losing or becomes difficult, they'll just go to another team. The follower never gives up on that team. 
I grew up, uh, we went to New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints couldn't win anything. They were the, first, the original ain'ts. But you knew the followers. They, they would complain about the Saints, but they would be there constantly. It, the, the preacher said, fans give up and walk away. If it gets too difficult, they'll leave. Followers, they'll never leave, no matter what. He went on to say that in the, in the church world, fans will come to church to experience the ritual. The ritual makes them feel religious, but the ritual doesn't make a difference on how they live during the week. The followers come to church to have an experience with Jesus, and that will make a difference for the rest of the week. Fans always ask, what's in it for me? Fans, well, give me a free ticket, give me a free T-shirt. Followers will always ask, what can I do for the team? Fans will last a short time. A follower will last forever. That's the difference in a fake disciple and a true disciple. My question tonight is, are you a true disciple? Have you personally given your life to Christ by confession saying, God, I know who you are. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. Lord, I know you're the Lord God, and I give you everything. If you haven't done that, will you do that tonight? If you're watching online, if you need to give your life to Christ tonight, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. Will you be a true disciple tonight? Will you be a true disciple? Say, I'm going to follow you no matter what, because you are indeed the Lord God of all. If you're here tonight and you want to give your life to Christ or join this church or some other decision, we ask that you make it as we begin singing, and I'm at the front. Just come to the front. Would you stand, please? And Father in heaven, as we read this passage, we see that image of thousands of people walking away from Jesus because it was too difficult. And they walked away from eternal life. They walked away from the true Lord, the true God. And Father, that breaks our hearts. Because Father, we're seeing it even today in our culture. People who are offended by your words, and they're walking away. People are finding it more difficult to live the Christian life because they're being ridiculed. They're being ostracized. Father, some are even being attacked because of their faith in you. And, Father, they're walking away. But, Father, for those who are the true disciples, I thank you that you give us the power to carry on. You give us the strength to get back up. And so, Father, tonight, if there's anyone who needs to give their life in a personal way, Father, I pray tonight will be that night when they will become a true disciple of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.